This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to Total Saints Podcast, episode 16. My name's Ben Stanfield, at Ben Stanners from Twitter, and as ever, I'm joined by Adam Leach, Daily Echo's chief sports writer. Adam, nice to have a short trip to get to today at Bournemouth. Ah, oh, it's lovely. I love the South Coast uh, teams being in the Premier League. The more, the better. It's uh, fantastic for uh, like a very short commute to a game when you think of some of the horror trips that you have as well in the Premier League. It's absolutely beautiful to be just popping down the road and... Uh, yeah, and also always they're always very friendly at Bournemouth as well. They're, they're very nice to people who work there, so they always make you very welcome, which is uh, which is refreshing as well. Absolutely, I guess they'd be a little bit more um, aggressive if it was a derby, wouldn't they? I suppose. So, uh, Don't say it's a derby. Don't say it's well... a or Anyway, I made that mistake. Earlier. It's not. It's not a derby. Yes, it is. No. Oh, okay, it is. Yeah, no one. No one noticed. So don't worry. So there, that's fine. Um, <laughs> good. But uh, no, just also wanted to say, um, appreciate all the feedback on last week's podcast that Adam, myself, and uh, Lucy Hynett did. It was good to hear that everyone enjoyed it. Obviously, uh, one of the reasons for getting Lucy on was we uh, we both feel that um, had a very balanced and fair view towards Saints and constructive uh, view on Saints. So. It was good to hear that everyone enjoyed it. This week in this podcast, we're going to look back at the City and Bournemouth games that have happened, and we're going to have a, a preview of the Arsenal game that's coming up next weekend as well. So without further ado, this is Total Saints Podcast, episode 16. All in all then, Adam, I know you weren't at Manchester City, but you were obviously down at Bournemouth today. I guess, reflecting on the sort of positive starts of the week with the Everton result, do, do you think it kind of turned into a bit of a disappointing week in the end, or, or can we still take something from it? Bit of a mixed bag for me, if, if I'm totally honest. Great start with Everton, as you said, quite rightly, and some positives to take from the next two games as well. I think the performance levels have gone up a bit. Um, I think there are some signs of progress, certainly having bemoaned the lack of uh, some of the attacking football and some of the intensity from some of the team at times, we have actually seen a lot more of that, uh, which which is good. And, and that is a sign of progress. But ultimately, I think four points uh, at the, at the pre-Everton was the minimum we would have wanted from 
this period, given the position Saints were in before the kickoff there. And what they have delivered is the minimum number of points when we, if we're just concentrating on results for a moment. So from that point of view, I guess it, it's about the bare minimum. I, I just feel it's a little bit um, symptomatic of, of this season in general in that, that they certainly are doing enough to avoid a meltdown, despite what, what some people would perhaps have you believe. They are doing enough to avoid a meltdown. They are doing enough to feel a small degree of comfort in terms of where the bottom three are in relation to where they are. But in terms of anything further than that, in terms of the season sort of really igniting and having some sort of a, you know, a liftoff type moment, we still haven't had that either. And I don't feel that we've, we've had that this week either with, with the four points. And that's a, you know, it's a plucky performance at Man City. As you said, I wasn't there, so I can't comment too deeply on it. I just watched it from afar like everybody else did. Um, I was at Bournemouth and, um, yeah, a, a, a result that is a passable result, a bit like Brighton away, drawing there, passable result. Any point away from home in the Premier League, you can't really complain at. But again, another one of those games where, yeah, that could have been three points, but it wasn't quite three points. So it just sort of sums up this season in that there, there are some good things there. There are some positives. It's not uh, looking to me as we suggested at the beginning of the season, that this is going to be some sort of a disaster this year. But at the same time, it, is it going to be any better than mid-table? And it feels like another week that started so promisingly, but then four points at the end of it, as I said, the minimum. So it's not, it's not, it's not bad. It wasn't a bad week. I think when you get the, the last seven, eight days, um, it could have been seven points. I mean, we could have could have had a point at Manchester City. Obviously, it was disappointing to, to get that goal against us in the 95th, 96th minute. And I think at Bournemouth, first half, obviously, we were off the pace a bit. Second half, we could have, uh, you know, nicked uh, the three points. Austin obviously had a great header, and uh, there was the cutback from Bertrand that was overhit. So it could have been seven points. It arguably it could have been three, you know, based on the first half of uh, the game at Bournemouth today. But I, I, I guess, as you say, there has been some sort of signs of progression. I think compared to maybe where we were a couple of weeks ago after the Liverpool game, we were in a pretty bad place, I think, as a fan base. Lots of us questioning Pellegrino and uh, certainly looking towards the bottom three. I think, actually, when you look at the performance, as you said there, and the attitude over the last eight days or so, it's certainly been a step in the right direction, despite, as you say, the points that have come from it. Yeah, actually, I think you've got to be somewhat fair to Pellegrino as well and say that, as I've said before, when when people have talked about you know where where are we in terms of his future and things like that, you've got to give him a bit of time to to get this right. It's not as if they're Swansea; they're not rooted to the bottom and and losing games uh, continually. They they are still sort of ensconced in that mid table area, and he deserves a bit of time to get it right. And the performances need to come to get the results as well. And I guess the encourage the big encouragement I can find is that those performances are starting to pick up. We are seeing a few important players play a lot better as well, especially at Bournemouth. I was um, very impressed with Virgil van Dijk, and I think that's the best he's played since he came back. And therefore, you have to take that sort of suggestion, as as I've said in the past as well, that it was going to take him a bit of time to get up to speed because he's been out and not played for a very long time. And actually, he's beginning to look a little bit more like his old self, which is a huge thing for Saints. They finally got... Uh, in Charlie Austin, whether you think he should have played earlier or not, whatever, he is actually playing now and he is scoring. They've got a striker in form and, and that is obviously making a big difference as well. So there are there are things sort of starting to just those those little shoots of 
things coming together. But you just really want Saints to just to be able to use that as some form of base to actually gain some momentum and actually just have a run at some point where they actually get the points. And I, I don't want to harp back to last season, but I did. I did think, well, last year, Everton at home, Saints won. Man City away, Saints did get a one-all draw last year. Mm. And Bournemouth away, Saints won last year. Now, this is a different season. I'm not, I don't want to try and compare it directly because it's obviously not comparable. But it just goes to show that these, these are results that are, they are achievable. So you just want Saints to take that next step. And, and maybe this is the baby step towards it, the fact that performances have got there. But the results really need to follow if this, as we've said before, if this isn't going to just be a season whereby it's going to be just more of this and they might lose a few and then they're always oh, a big game. Then they win and the, and the pressure's off a bit and they pick up another odd point here and there, another plucky performance, but a defeat against a big club, things like that. And and you just kind of just go through this till till May. If there's going to be real signs of progression, then those performances need to come and the results need to come as well. And just that was the only disappointing thing, I think, this week really was the fact that there was... Even though I felt that probably on balance a draw was just about a fair result at Bournemouth, actually Saints could have won that game and that could have been three points and it wouldn't have been daylight robbery or you weren't asking for a performance that they didn't put in to necessarily get the three points. And had they got another win there, you would have felt, I think at this stage, really a lot more positive about where they were going and where this season was going. And it's just that kind of just getting over that last little hurdle that sort of has been a problem all season is just something that they they need to do and, and to get a bit of momentum behind them. I think the other thing as well is as a positive is that they've obviously now started scoring goals as well. I mean, that's six goals in three games, bearing in mind they'd scored nine in, what, 12 before that. And all six of those goals, Everton, Man City and Bournemouth goals have come from open play, which again is, is a positive in terms of at least now we're creating chances, we're having shots, we're scoring goals. So I think certainly from that point of view, it's positive. Although obviously on Sky today, I know they mentioned that we've still yet to score more than one goal away from home. But I guess you look at teams like Crystal Palace, you know, they've still not scored a one away goal all season, which seems amazing when you're in December. But look, if, if we start with the, the City game, there was a couple of things I wanted to talk about. He finally changed to playing the, the three at the back, which you'd spoken about a fair bit. Obviously, it was a bit of a part of the bus formation as... Um, we discussed on last week's podcast, but I think, in my view, perfectly acceptable lineup. I think we were always sort of expecting that to happen. So, what did you sort of make of that? Him, him finally going for the three at the back. I think he tried it against Wolves at home, didn't he, in the in the cup? But obviously, that's the first time in the the Premier League, and it looked like it would have been fairly effective for the the 95 minutes or so that we played. I think it's a it's a perfectly acceptable tactic to do away to Man City. And as I I had mentioned previously, I felt that if he was going to do it. Uh, and I know that he had thought about doing it a couple of times and had, and had obviously just decided against it. It was going to be uh, really away from home uh, against a big club. I think he would have ideally perhaps have done it sooner, but the way the fixtures fell uh, in that, that period where we sort of felt like there, a change was needed, they were playing three home games and, and three uh, fairly winnable home games. And at that point, to have gone to three at the back, even if you would have said it was a positive move, I don't think it would have gone down very well, hence why he avoided it. So it was always, for me, going to be a case of changing it up away from home against a big club where you're effectively playing, as you said, five at the back, really, rather than three at the back, and trying to go at it that way. And, yeah, I think it's a perfectly justifiable tactic. I mean, it's not exciting. It's not that pretty uh, to play it in that manner. But... That is the way the majority of Premier League teams play, whether you love the league or you don't love the league. And I know that there's a bit of a split on this. 
ultimately that's what most teams do away from home. They do go against the majority of sides, uh, aside from the big clubs. They do go away from home and they just shut up shop and they defend. And it doesn't always make for very good football. It's not always very enjoyable, which is why I know a lot of people often say they prefer the championship because you get much more open games than you do in the Premier League. But nonetheless, it is a fully justifiable tactic. And, and it is actually very hard, even for these big clubs, to break down teams. I mean, Southampton are a good team. They've got some good players and they've got some disciplined players as well. And when you play in a disciplined formation, as good as Manchester City's attacking players are, and they're fantastic, if Southampton, as the opposition, do their job, it is really, really hard to break them down. And and yeah, it is, in essence, a negative way of playing. It's not all that attractive to watch, generally. But in actual fact, it is effective. And Southampton are not there, necessarily, to always be attractive to watch, especially when they're trying to get results away from home against a team that are running away with a division. Their job is to, is to just try and get a result. And that was obviously, he felt, the best way of playing. And then interesting that today, going to Bournemouth, where Southampton could be more adventurous, he went back to the back four again. I, obviously, I know Cedric was out this week, which perhaps made him think twice about who he would play as a right wing back if he stuck with a three anyway. But And Bournemouth playing a four as well. He would have ideally matched them up, which he did. Yes, yeah, so then when he wants to be more adventurous, he, he can go back to the four. I think it's a good option for him to... Have And I think it's a particularly good time to have gone to it as well at Man City because in a way there wasn't that much to lose on that game. We said after the Everton win that they got a bit of a free pass in this one. So it's quite a good game to actually experiment. And when you're saying experiment, you're, you're talking about experimenting with a more defensive setup as well. So it wasn't as if you were going to expose yourself against a, a rampant Man City. In a run now where they're playing a lot of the big clubs, we might well see it dusted off again, I suspect. It was nice to see Saints fight back second half, bearing in mind they were losing. It was a, a nice goal. Buffel taking a great touch, and it was good to see Romeo pushing forward. In terms of midfielders getting forward and scoring goals, we've seen Tadic last week, we've seen Romeo during the week, so that's a positive sign as well. Obviously, it was gutting to let the goal in in the 95th minute, Adam, but I, I guess that's the sign of champions that they, they will keep going, a bit like they've done today against West Ham that have played similar tactics to us. So I guess you have to give credit to, to City as much as sort of being disappointed for Saints. Yeah, I, I think it is one of those games where I, I wouldn't really seek to criticise Saints at all. I mean, not just for, for saying because they lost, but in the manner in which it happened. I mean, these things these things happen, and these are the minor differences in the, 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 uh, between teams that win titles and, and teams that don't. And Manchester City have spent an awful lot of money on players who can produce this one moment of magic out of nowhere to win you a game, to get you a three points when you think you're only going to get one. And that is the difference between winning a title and not winning a title. And, and it costs a phenomenal amount of money. And ultimately, Man City have spent that. They've got the players to do that. They look like they're going to walk away with the title this year. And they're going to walk away with it because they're able to, to do these things uh, like they've done to Southampton there. So, I mean, I don't really, I think it's unfortunate for Saints. I think it must be very gutting for them that their hard work there didn't really bear any fruit in terms of a result but at the very least it was a source of pride for performance um, 
and to run them close as well. I think they would have taken a lot of confidence if they had got a draw, absolutely. But yeah, certainly pride in the, the performance. The the only other thing just before we talk about Bournemouth that I just wanted to pick up on was this uh, whole Pep Guardiola, Nathan Redmond thing. I'm, I must be honest, when it sort of first happened and came out, I kind of thought, well, I'm not really that bothered about it. And then it sort of snowballed quite quickly into a major thing. It was in all the, the media and I saw, um, is it Oliver Kay, I think, in the Times saying, oh, he, sh- you know, he should be banned and all that sort of thing. But I mean, was it a bit of a storm in a teacup or did, do you think you know should a, an opposition manager be going and doing that sort of thing do you think i tend to think no that they shouldn't really be doing that but i also do think it's a bit of a storm in a teacup as well man city or like i said are walking away with the title it looks like it feels like the title race is over and we're we're with the first weekend in december has just gone and that is disappointing for everybody so i think the media are probably are collectively desperate to inject any interest they can for me i really struggled to get excited about this story even though it obviously has a big saints connection and normally if it's a big saints story you'd be interested i must admit i can't really get excited about this story at all it's it's all seems a bit bizarre and a, and a bit weird and only guardiola and, and redmond will really know exactly what what was said obviously we've got their accounts of it it's, if, it, if it's all as has been said, it's very kind of Pep to take such a active and enthusiastic interest in the performances of of opposition players. So it seems very strange that he would be so animated about the way Nathan Redmond plays. But nonetheless, um, maybe he is a, a massive, massive admirer of Nathan Redmond. Maybe he watches him every week and perhaps he shouts at the TV if he thinks Nathan Redmond's not attacking the way he wants or if Saints are, he deems them to be time wasting and, and therefore not getting the best out of Nathan Redmond. Maybe he rants at, at match of the day and, and Maurizio Pellegrino in his dreams is, is there tormenting him with these negative tactics that don't get the best out of Nathan Redmond. All very, very bizarre and very weird. Who knows what was or wasn't said. To me, it was just quite uninteresting. And after the game at Bournemouth, I mean, the national guys were doing their best to try and get something out of the out of the game because for them, uh, a one-all draw between Bournemouth and Southampton is just uh, and the the minutiae of what it means for those two teams at this stage of the season is just not a story for them at all. But Guardiola is isn't something they can get in the newspapers. That's that's something that's a story. Guardiola, Man City. So they were desperately tapping away at Pellegrino in the post-match press conference, asking about Redmond, asking about you know, his state of mind and how affected he was and his performance, bearing in mind what happened. And uh, Pellegrino is just playing it with a straight bat and just looked utterly bemused by the whole the whole thing, the same as he was pre-match when, uh, extraordinarily, obviously, he, he not only said he hadn't seen it, but he hadn't even spoken to Redmond about it, which is uh, which which also seems a little bit fanciful. But nonetheless, unless something dramatic comes out that we don't know about, it, it just seems a bit of something and nothing to me. Yeah, it's amazing these uh, managers, what they do and don't see, because I, I, I saw Mourinho said he didn't see the Pogba uh, tackle at Arsenal the weekend, but uh, guarantees he's everything else that uh, goes his way. It's uh, it's a funny old game being a football manager, isn't it? But uh, there we go. Mo- moving on to Bournemouth. So obviously, it finished 1-0 in the end. Um, Oriol Romeo played his 100th appearance for Saints, which was quite a, a good record for him. Obviously, a lot of those have been 7-8s uh, out of 10 over the last couple of years. Reflecting on it, Adam, a bit of a game of two halves. I think Bournemouth obviously were pretty dominant in the first half. We'll talk about the penalty in a minute, but or the or the, the the penalty that maybe should have been or shouldn't have been. Second half, obviously Saints came into it a lot more, created a lot of chances. As you said earlier, draw was probably a fair result, but I, I guess as a Saints fan, you still come away thinking oh, it's possibly two points dropped as well. 
Yeah, funnily enough, I was um, sort of searching for a bit of inspiration after the game, trying to work out exactly uh, what to write for the for the Echo on Monday. And I sort of actually went in on that line of my verdict piece as to what was this a point gained or was it two points dropped? Because it was kind of hard to exactly work it out because I I felt a fair result was a draw for the from the balance of the game. Probably it was it was about right, but. There was that feeling that Saints probably, with all due respect to Bournemouth, did have the greater quality on the pitch, and they were, for my mind, just that little bit better. And they had the, they really were the team I felt like had the real potential to win that game, even though Forster may well have been slightly the busier goalkeeper. So from that respect, you think, well, you're not going to win that many away games. So when you kind of feel like maybe you've almost done enough, or you're, you can sense it's just there. To then not get it is is a bit frustrating. It was obviously a sloppy goal to give away. Wesley, who turned inside a couple of times and got, got away with it, got caught the third time by Josh King. The thing that frustrated me about it, and I tweeted about it at the time actually, was that um, probably about 10-15 seconds before that, the ball being played to Steve Davis in the centre circle. And he was facing the Saints goal and if he turned, you know, he could have moved forward the ball, but instead it was just a first-time pass straight back to Hoyt. I mean, I guess it was goes back to this whole backwards and sideways and the easy option and the sort of whole mindset of the, the team, because Davis could have turned and we would never have been in that position. So it was a, a sloppy goal to, to give away. Um, the, the penalty, obviously we're going to talk about that. I know that um, Adam Smith said to uh, Chris Temple on Solent after the game that John Mossad had apologised, and I mean, we know Chris Temple loves a bit of a drama, so he's obviously made, made quite a bit of this, and uh, I think as a fan I, I mean I probably at normal speed thought it looked a penalty I can see maybe why in hindsight it wasn't given Jamie Carragher thought it was Thierry Henry said if he'd just gone over normally he probably would have got it but because he dived that's what cost him I, I guess it's one of those ones that probably nine times out of ten you get but but then if the referee can see it and there's a lot in the game at the moment about simulation obviously after Niassi at Crystal Palace the other day so did you think it was a penalty? Do you think it was the fair call? Do you, do you think it could have gone either way, really? I mean, I agree with that on recomment. For me, it was a, it was, <laughs> it was definitely a penalty. I don't think there was any doubt in my mind about that. But yeah, I, I think the reason Smith didn't get it was because he really made it very theatrical. I agree. If he'd have just gone down normally, I surely would have been a penalty. But he he obviously saw the tackle coming. He left his foot deliberately behind and then took a massive leap to 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 leave the referee in no doubt that he'd been caught and I thought at full speed actually my gut straight away was that's a penalty and it and it wasn't a, a dive it was just uh but actually when I saw the replay the the first thing you think is blimey that is really theatrical and then and then you look at it again and go no no, no he did he did get him actually so I could kind of see how it wasn't given in that respect. I, I did feel a little bit sorry for him to, to the extent that, well, Eddie Howe was explained afterwards, he's now banned for their next game. So they've kind of, not only did they not get the penalty, they've got the double whammy of him now being suspended for something that really he didn't do. Um, and that the referees admitted he didn't do, but he can't rescind the yellow card. So uh, it does seem that that is a fairly farcical situation that we've got there that you can retrospectively ban somebody for diving but if you make an error in saying that they dived when they didn't and you book them you can't then retrospectively unbook them and unsuspend them which does seem like a a stupid situation yeah i was gonna say i mean i guess you know i'm I'm not a bournemouth fan it doesn't really bother me but if if a referee has come out and apologized and said he thinks he made the wrong decision then surely that's something i mean i appreciate the rules are the rules but surely that's the sort of thing that 
he can call the FA on the Monday morning and go, look, I think we should rescind that yellow card and it can be done with quite quickly. I mean, I guess obviously the rules don't allow for that, but surely in that, that circumstance, if he truly believes that it's the wrong decision, he shouldn't have booked him, that, that's something that could be nipped in the bud quite quickly, couldn't it? Well, you would, as you said, the rules are the rules and then they don't allow for that at this point in time, but it does, it does beg that question, doesn't it? If retrospectively you can punish people, and you, you retrospectively, there are some things that you can say, yeah, I got it wrong and you can rescind. Where does the line come between what you can and can't rescind? I guess they don't want to be having to review every single decision, every single yellow card. And especially as some yellow cards are obviously for, you know, you, we look at it sometimes and we'll go, oh, that was a, you know, what, what's he booking in for that? That's a bit soft. And then you sort of hear afterwards from from various sources from the referee. Well, actually, you know, it was accumulation of fouls. I had told him. He's you know, three or four now, niggly ones. Next one, he's going in the book. And you just look at it and go, well, that's ridiculous. That's harsh. There's never a yellow card there. Or that's the incident that's shown on Match of the Day. And they analyse because they haven't obviously sat and watched the whole game. And go, well, that was never a yellow card. That's a very soft yellow card. And you don't know for sure. But in these instances where it's a very black and white booking, it's clearly a booking for one incident. I mean, I don't really see why it can't be reviewed, why that can't be taken into account in the rules and why why we can't adapt we need to adapt football on a very broad note here with technology i, I mean like the, the way obviously i know it's a different sport but the way cricket's done and having seen the way that the uh, review system has uh, has come in and has then adapted correctly in my view in that there was obviously a huge problem with losing your uh, appeals on things that were umpires call when technically you were appealing and you weren't wrong but it was umpire's call. Now, obviously, they've changed the rules slightly, so you get that relief on that that decision that's an umpire's call. So the, it goes to show that you can use technology and you can adapt the rules. And and let's be honest, I don't really see. I don't I don't know exactly the workload of of a Premier League referee, but I'm guessing that John Moss sits down after every game and a day or two later goes through the video, he has to write up his report and things like that as well to send in. And, and have a look at his own performance. I don't really see if he's doing if the referees are doing that on a regular basis, why there's any harm in introducing some rules for that. It certainly seems incredible that had uh, had that decision been given as a penalty and later the replay showed that that was actually a terrible decision and a clear dive that, that Smith could have got retrospectively banned for it. And yet when the referees uh, apparently saying that, that he's got it wrong, that they can't have a, a way of comeback on that. As you say, it's a bit like Crystal Palace the other week. Um, by that time, Jermaine Defoe, for example, has popped the penalty and Saints have lost 2-1, so Saints have been punished in that way, the same as Crystal Palace were when Leighton Baines popped the penalty. And uh, I, I mean, I actually thought in, in uh, hindsight that, that the Assi ban was pretty harsh because I, I thought it probably was a penalty, actually. But I think it's just it just goes to show the, the whole consistency around refereeing and uh, officials that, you know, it's been there for years. I don't think it'll ever go away, will it? Because it is a tough job. But I think it's just, the, the frustration for fans and probably media as well that have to write about it is just the consistency. You, you'll see two decisions over the same probably weekend. You, you know, one will be a penalty, one won't be a penalty, or one will be a red card and one won't be a red card. So it's, uh, I, I think that's often the, the frustration is, yeah, there's the rules, but you don't actually know who's going to implement what decision and whether it's going to stand. It's quite frustrating, I think. Yeah, no, I, I get that. I mean, I, I try not to get personally too hit up about all this because, I, I mean, I do think that. For most people that go and watch a game, actually shouting at a referee is probably quite cathartic. And <laughs> and actually, 
Well, it is one of those things that for forever and a day, people will go down the pub or, or, or you know, chat to their friends or their family or whatever and, and talk about the performance of the referee and the decisions and, and the talking points. But uh, And that's a good thing. And I think that's part of the beauty of football to a certain extent. And I wouldn't want to lose that altogether. But my point is, is simply that I, I, I feel that you can't just say we'll use technology for some things and then we won't use it for others. I think it's a good stress reliever, isn't it? I think it's like going up the, the golf driving range to smash golf balls when you've had a, a tough day at work. Everyone looks forward to going to football on Saturday and not certainly not condoning bad language, but I think shouting at a referee for 90 minutes, some people just see that as a as a as an enjoyable part of their week, don't they? But uh, there, there we go. I mean, um, look, back back to the game. Obviously, it was good to see Charlie Austin score again. That's uh, three in uh, three games for him. Obviously, made a short uh, burst up at Manchester City. A couple of players that I just wanted to talk about. We've had quite a few conversations this season about Fraser Forster, Adam. He was always going to be busy at Manchester City, I think, but he kept most things out. He could do nothing about the two goals, really. And then uh, again today, I mean, he made a similar save to that one that he made at QPR a few years ago from Jermaine Defoe, where he sort of stuck out his shoulder. But again, he's got a lot of criticism from fans, myself included, this season. But this sort of past week or so, I, I, he even came for that corner last week against Everton. It's, it's positive signs that he's starting to find a bit more confidence and form and certainly made some crucial saves over the last couple of games. Fraser Forster is at his best as a shot stopper. I think we can all agree on that. He's, he is a very good reaction goalkeeper. And under the more pressure he's under, the better he seems to do. The less pressure he's under and the more sort of just getting involved here and there, the more he seems to have struggled as a general rule. And so at Man City, he was always going to be under a lot of pressure and he did well. And again, at Bournemouth, and I did think to myself, because although he had no, the goal was at Bournemouth, was a no fault of his, obviously it was relatively close to him. There's no way he could have saved it. And I did sort of chuckle to myself, had he not had uh, already made some good saves in the Bournemouth game and had he not had a really good game at Man City, I wonder whether everybody would have been pointing the finger at him for that goal and asking whether he could have got to it, even though it was totally unreasonable to think so. But yeah, good signs for, for Fraser. Let's just hope he can keep it going. And I hope that people uh, really decide that maybe it's worth giving him a break and sticking with him. Because again, obviously, I, I know I've mentioned it a couple of times about the ironic cheers. And, and when he t- came and took that cross against Everton, I know exactly the one you mean. There was a little bit of me that was shaking my head. I mean, the way that obviously the crowd reacted was... Uh, was like it was another one of those. Oh my goodness me! That's that's probably not going to have done him any good. A few people obviously genuinely applauding what was a good come for the ball and a good take, and then the rest sort of with ironic cheers and ironic applause. And uh, but yeah, then he's kicked on from that in fairness, and he and he has done a really good job for saying so. Long may it continue. I saw um, that they said it was his 71st consecutive Premier League start, so he's he's obviously had a good run of games and since his injury, and I think it's uh, a positive sign. So fingers crossed that um, carries on. Um, the other player as well, I mean, obviously a bit like we did with Pierre Emil Hoiberg last week. Jeremy Pa came into the side today, as you mentioned earlier. Cedric Suarez being out injured, I think hopefully it's short term, and fingers crossed he'll be back for for next week. But again, almost mirror imaged. Pierre Emil Hoiberg in that uh, he's he's been out in the the cold. He's played a few games, Fulham under 18s or whatever. But he came in and I I actually thought he did a pretty good job. He started to push uh, their their left back Charlie um, Daniels back a bit more in the second half. And, uh, and for someone who's who's been out of the Premier League since uh, I, I saw him up at Middlesbrough at the end of last season when he played, and he looked pretty good to me that day as well. So he he's another player that seems keen to impress and looked pretty solid. I thought right back today. Yeah, I thought he did okay. I don't think he was exceptional, but I think he did well enough. He is ultimately the backup 
right back, isn't he? It was Cedric's fit, Cedric plays. And, and I mean, I suggested that could be the case with, with Hoiberg as well, really, in that, you know, one good performance. But when they're fit, he's going to be behind Lamina and Romeo at the very least. Again, no matter how well he played in, in that in that one game. Um, and Jeremy Pierre is very much in the position that he is always going to be behind Cedric. Ultimately, from his point of view, he obviously wants to do the best he can. He's, his contract, he only signed a two-year deal. His contract, therefore, ends at the end of this season. He's free to negotiate with other clubs in January or start talking to other clubs. So whether Saints would keep him on or not, well, he's playing for that potential of a contract. And if Saints uh, would not keep him on, uh, which is my suspicion, is probably more likely, then he's playing for his future elsewhere, isn't he? So he's got a lot of incentive and a lot of motivation to go out there and, and really try and take every opportunity he can. And I think the one thing about him that we know uh, is that he's always been a hard worker. People have criticised various elements of his game, but the one thing you can't criticise is he is one of those 100 percenters. I think he's 100 percenter day in and day out in training from everything I hear, and he's 100 percenter when he plays. So, uh, And ultimately, a bit like when, when Saints had Cuco Martina. Cuco ended up playing a lot more than you would have expected. He was never signed really to play that much. I think even though Jeremy P.A. was very much a clawed signing because he was Claude's man he wasn't really signed necessarily with the thought that he was going to be the first team regular he was the backup option and and so um, I think he proved that if Saints need him if Cedric misses another game or two at some point then then he's ready they don't have to play Yoshida uh, right back they don't have to play somebody out of position they can give him a game and I think there's some comfort for for Saints and for Pellegrino to know that Lastly, just in terms of players, Ryan Bertrand as well. Again, someone else who we've criticised, or certainly I've criticised this season for looking a bit disinterested. Even caught him smiling today, so he's clearly enjoying himself a bit more. But putting a man on a match performance, and I think, again, over the last eight days, coinciding with the progression that the team has made, someone who's starting to, to really find some form and bombing forward and uh, doing what he's, he's good at, which is getting balls into the box to sort of supplying chances. Yeah, I mean, as as you know, I, I haven't been quite as hard on Bertrand as you have mm-hmm. this season. I know that you've uh, you've you've taken him to task more than me, and I've I've sort of defended him a lot a lot more. And I, I thought he uh, he did well again today. And um, yeah, I mean, he played well. And it was interesting, obviously, that we spoke about last week the fact that that he's played better when it's not been the him and Redmond axis on the left. And it was interesting today that obviously he played well again, Bufawa on the left. And when Redmond came on, Redmond actually played on the right. And that was a nice balance. I thought Redmond did did well. And it was nice to see him, uh, rather than playing on the left and cutting in, playing on the right and trying to go around the outside a bit more. And I thought that was a nice balance and it worked well. And I think that's hopefully something that's uh, that Pellegrino's thought about and, and has had a look at and think and you know, might give a go again. So I think it was a nice balance. But Bertrand's obviously picking up a bit of form now as well, which is really good to see. And it's a, lest we forget, it's a huge year for him as well. It's World Cup year for him. So um, there's there's a, there's a lot on the line for him this year, I think. He might not make another uh, World Cup after this one. Who knows? No footballer knows. But at his age, you, never, you, you certainly wouldn't be confident. So um, this might be his big chance to play at the World Cup. So he, he needs to be on absolute top form for Saints, and he knows that as well. So that obviously is only a good thing for Saints. Just finally on the Bournemouth game, then um, I just wanted to talk about the 
selection, probably just midfield, because I think the defence and uh, obviously Charlie Austin was uh, expected. He, he changed it around at half-time. As you say, Nathan Redmond came on, did well, provided an assist, which I'm sure Pep will have rung him tonight or texted him tonight to congratulate him on. Um, he'll be delighted. I think he will be, be delighted. He, will be. he, yeah, he um, would have been like punching the air. I mean, he's totally, probably, totally. He was probably more pleased about that than beating West Ham. Yeah, I would have thought so. I would have thought he'll have Redmond as captain in his fantasy team, wouldn't he? So double, double <laughs> Maybe that's for that, what it so. is. That's yeah. what it is. You've, yeah. you've worked it out. Must be, must be. Um, oh, this, this, this whole Stephen Davis centre midfield thing, Adam, I'm going to go on about it again. But you, you, <laughs> you've got Pierre Emil Hoiberg sat on the bench. who's played really, really well the last couple of games. I appreciate he may be tired having not played for, for a while and then playing two games in four or five days, whatever. Likewise, you've got Mario Lamina sat on the bench as well. I wasn't quite sure about the whole... James Ward-Prowse, Stephen Davis selection and playing in those positions. I, I appreciate Ward-Prowse played there against Everton last week in a game that we obviously won and maybe that was the reason that he did it. But I'm still not convinced about why we're playing Stephen Davis in, in that position. And maybe that, that sort of first half was a little bit lethargic due to the selection because I didn't really think that Ward-Prowse offered much today, to be honest. When Pellegrino was asked about the selections after the game, he, he sort of said a bit like Claude would last year, well, look, three games in a week, I've got a squad. I've got a lot of players who I believe uh, deserve a game and who I think are training very well. Therefore, I, I want to try and manage the squad. I don't want to just play the same players all the time. So I was looking for who was fresh and who wasn't fresh in training. And obviously, we have to give him the benefit of the doubt because he sees them at much closer quarters during the week than, than we do. And, and that was his reasoning for picking the players he picked. I think maybe he went back toward Prowse partly because of the fact that obviously he'd been in the Everton team that had done well. I think also there's the feeling that Ward-Prowse, with his uh, delivery, is able to provide more balls, quality balls in for Charlie Austin, who's obviously much more of a penalty box striker. Um, I think that's part of the reason that he likes to try and get Ward-Prowse in the team. I suspect that having just really come back from injury and feeling his way back, that Lamina wasn't considered because he didn't really want to risk any longer term problem with with Lamina he wants to make sure he eases him back in uh, obviously they've got a week off now before they have to play three times in a week again and they've got a very busy period with then another sort of week without a midweek game and then the three games over the Christmas period so he is going to be using a lot of these guys I think he is going to be um, maneuvering them round and, and rotating them round probably the one person you would say that has been a little bit harshly treated if uh, the manager was looking at an Everton game was obviously Hoiberg not getting a kick at Bournemouth obviously might have felt a little bit hard done by there but as I said ultimately he is the one that sees him in training every day and I find it difficult sometimes to, to criticise when you're in these tough run of games because ultimately you do have to as well as picking your best team you also have to pick the team that you think is most likely to win and obviously the freshest players uh, are always going to be the most likely to probably deliver you those results, especially when you're playing away from home. We're going to finish the podcast by looking ahead to next weekend's Arsenal game. Adam, Arsenal are one of those sides you never quite know which Arsenal team's going to turn up. They, they've obviously got a lot of ability in their side. Um, we can talk about the front three in a minute, but they're a team that is built for, for counter-attacking, which against Saints may or may not work, but certainly a tough game for Saints to now face off the back of the Bournemouth draw. Yeah, it will be a difficult game. And it's, 
Well, I know we'll come on to predictions, but it is a hard one to really figure out what's going to happen because Arsenal are incredibly unpredictable. Watching that Man United game, you could see, obviously, Man United are quality opposition, but you could see the defensive frailties of Arsenal were were very, very apparent. But also the attacking power they've got is very, very apparent as well. And they've got some great players. I mean, obviously, they have the slight issue, if you like, or the, the, the slight... A distraction that they do have a European game on on Thursday night, albeit I think it's in it's in London, so it shouldn't really be too much of a factor. But um, that that is something on their mind, and that is something that could potentially work in Saints' favour. But yeah, I mean, you feel a little bit like any results possible when Arsenal turn up, don't you? It is a it is a weird uh, it's a weird game because you you if if Saints are going to win any of these games against the big clubs, you kind of feel like the one or two, if you had to pick one or two, you think, well, that's the most likely ones to get the result. Arsenal at home would be one of them because you feel, well, they are vulnerable. You know they're vulnerable. You can get at them and you can score goals against them. And so that has got to give Saints hope. But by the same token, when you look at the attacking power they've got, when you look at Ozil, you look at Lacazette, you look at Sanchez and, and the rest of them, um, you know, Welbeck and uh, I mean they've just Giroud they've just got a host of great attacking players uh, if they all click then even if you play really well containing them is is a very very difficult job and obviously it's a little bit easier perhaps to play I think the bigger teams away from home in some ways and that you, there's so little expectation on you that you can just camp in and just just literally defend and and then just attack as and when the opportunity arises. When you're at home, there is a little bit more expectation that you should perhaps attempt to, to be a bit more adventurous and that can make things a, a bit more difficult. So it'll be really interesting to see how Saints approach it. I'm not entirely sure how they will approach it, whether they will play more like an away team, whether they might go back to the, the Man City formation, the three slash five at the back, and actually kind of try and contain Arsenal and become almost the away team at home and try and, and, try and counter-attack I guess the pressure's obviously on Pellegrino a little bit from what you know you mentioned there obviously if he does decide to sort of go a little bit more defensive because it goes back to this whole trying to get the crowd interested and trying to sort of get them on side and them getting frustrated and uh, I, I guess getting on players backs and uh, and those sorts of things but uh, when you look at Arsenal I mean you mentioned there obviously a bit of a David De Gea uh, masterclass but I mean they had 75% possession against uh, Manchester United 33 shots 15 on target what was it Manchester United had four shots I think on target scored three goals won the game three one so Looking at those front three, Sanchez, Lacassette, Ozil, they're obviously the key three for them. I mean, how, how does Saints go about stopping them, if, if even that is possible? I would imagine that, assuming they're fit, that Pellegrino will certainly pick Lamina and Romeu. And I think the thing about Arsenal is what, what struck me and when I was watching them against Man United is how narrow they play. I mean, it was incredible. I mean, you could like throw a hanky over the attacking player. Well, pretty much most of the players on the pitch, in fact, they were so close together it was it was absolutely remarkable and they they do have a tendency to get to I think get way too narrow uh, Arsenal and when Man United were down to 10 I sort of found myself just like in in disbelief that they weren't trying to really stretch the play out wide they, if anything they got even narrower when Man United went down to 10 which is obviously what United would want because they want to defend as small an area as possible and obviously the area in front of their goal was the area that they really want to defend so I think Saints will be very aware of that. Whether Arsenal will try and play any differently, who knows? But I think Saints will be aware of the fact that Arsenal will be quite narrow. And so you want to pack out that middle area of the pitch and that area kind of in front of your back four. And that is 
Romeo and Lamina, I think, are, are, are great for that. And they are players, I think, whose value almost, a bit like when Wanyama was there, their value almost rises when you play those really big teams who have got those really creative players who can find that space in, in those little pockets in between defence and midfield if you're not very, very careful and can then pick you apart. But if you can stuff up those areas effectively, um, sort of bung them up, as it were, and not give them time and space on, on the ball to, to make anything happen in those areas, then you almost force them to perhaps play in a way they don't want to play, which is to to actually try and get the ball out wide, which doesn't seem to be how they how they want to do things. They don't want to get the ball out wide and get it in the box. So I think that, that that's what Saints have got to do. That's how they've got to approach the game. They've got to be ready to uh, effectively work out what Arsenal's strengths are, which is that great uh, one-touch, fantastic flowing football, great technical skill, but, it, but to play quite narrow and try and use that to their advantage by just blocking off as best they can all of those routes and all that space in between the in between the lines. And as is often the case with Saints, and today was one of the few occasions where they've battled back from a goal down to, to get something from the game, particularly on the road. But the first goal in that, that game with Arsenal is crucial because I think if Saints get it, confidence will lift. If, if Arsenal get it, then you, you, you're playing against all of their strengths of that counter-attacking football because you're having to take the game to them. Yeah, that's right. I think if Saints... Depends how Saints set up. But if they set up more defensively, then I, I suspect if... If Arsenal scored the first goal, that actually that, in my mind, if I if I had set the team up defensively, that wouldn't really change my tactics because I'd still be thinking, well, well, we'll just try and keep this to one, and then we'll have a go in the last 15 minutes. Uh, let's not leave ourselves open. Let's not concede another goal. I know that's not necessarily popular tactics, but I think it probably it makes sense. It's what the majority of Premier League teams would do. But that's certainly what you want to do. You want to try and draw Arsenal out, don't you, as much as possible. You want to then try and counter-attack and the thing for Saints is whether because of Arsenal's uh, defensive frailties one thing Man United did do well even though they, they obviously defended deep and got men behind the ball a lot of the time is they were prepared to press Arsenal as well and, and that obviously created a few of the, well at least a couple of the goals just due to the fact that Arsenal didn't really like being pressed at the back that's their great weakness is they're not that strong defensively and they are prone to make errors and, and it can be difficult and Bournemouth hit upon that. Pellegrino said after the game uh, as well, the Bournemouth, he felt, did do a good job. He did. They did identify a weakness in Saints or a chink in their armour in that they really are keen to play out from the back and, and perhaps occasionally for his, to, for his money, they, they perhaps overplay a little bit from the back and obviously the, they caught Wesley, Wesley on the ball and, and that led to a goal. But actually, Man United did that to Arsenal quite effectively. So whether Saints will push that high, whether they'll try and do that or not, well, we'll wait to see. One thing I look forward to is our weekly predictions, Adam. Manchester City... I thought you might yeah, well, you know, I had a funny feeling you yeah, might. Well, like, it's funny, I, I obviously wasn't going to dwell on it too much, but um, yeah, Manchester no, City... Sure. Um, you, you you tweeted, you sent me a DM on Twitter <laughs> about it earlier. <laughs> so I think you were going to dwell on it. <laughs> well, I, see, I wasn't going to bring that up, but there we go. Um, Manchester City, obviously, uh, you said Saints would lose 2-0, and it was 2-1, so actually half a point there. I think you were you were closest, so I, I'm going to give you some credit first. But uh, um, yeah, Bournemouth, obviously, I uh, predicted that it would be one all so uh, I was 100% spot on so I get 4 million points for that which lifts me uh, <laughs> uh, takes me quite quite a lot further at uh, the top of the table um, look, in, in terms of Arsenal game I think it is quite a hard one to predict what's yours going to be? Uh, I'm going to go for a draw actually I've got just a, a sneaking feeling that it might be one all yeah 
Yeah, I don't, I don't, I'm not even entirely sure. I know why I think that, but I, I've got to predict something. So I'm going to go for that. Actually, I flip-flopped with my Bournemouth prediction a bit today. I, I suddenly got, I haven't been very optimistic last week. I suddenly got really pessimistic before the game started. I'm not even quite sure why. And then as the game went on, I thought, oh, this has got one all written all over it now. So I knew you'd be happy. Uh, even with like 15 minutes to go, I was like, this is finishing one all, isn't it? I could, I could sense it already. But yeah, I'm, so I'm going to, well, basically, I'm just going to steal your prediction because now I know if you get a correct one all, mm. you get four million points. I get four million um, points. Oh, you do. Yeah, you get five. Points, you so. get five points. <laughs> okay, well, I yeah, I've got a big gap to close, so uh, I, I'm going to sit with one all. Yeah, you'll be you'll be pleased to know as well, and hopefully she's listening. But I DM'd Lucy as well to remind her that I'd predicted that as well. So uh, she, I'm uh, sure I'd, she was I'd, very I'd, yeah, I'd, I'd, yeah, she was. <laughs> to, to be fair, she did come back and quite rightly say that she had caveated her uh, Bournemouth prediction by saying that she hoped we would carry on from where we left off with Everton, which we re- didn't really do in the first half. So, uh, um, but there we go. Um, in terms of my prediction, I'm back to my normal self, unfortunately. Adam, I've, I've gone for two. Oh, here we go. <laughs> well, I've, I've gone for two 0 Arsenal just because I do think they've got a lot of quality up in that top uh, um, third of the pitch. I, I do think they are playing quite well. I mean, even against Manchester United, that was a game that on another day they they could have won five six three, you know, something like that if it hadn't been for De Gea. So I, I fancy them to get an early goal, as in the first sort of twenty minutes, and then we'll we'll take the game to them a little bit more, and then they'll just nick one on the break in the second half. So I'm going two 0 Arsenal, I'm afraid. You are the anti-Loro of predictions, <laughs> the Saints, I feel. Yeah, but I don't, yeah, I, you're you're I, like the opposite of Mark Lawrenson, who obviously always predicts Liverpool to win yeah. a, a flawless, unbeaten title season, and you're you're the opposite. I think I wonder where if Saints had got if all your predictions have been right, where how many points Saints would have this? I season? reckon they'd be in the Ryman's Premier. Division <laughs> Ryman's, Ryman's Division Seven by now or something like that. So, uh, so there we go. Well, obviously as ever, I hope I'm wrong. Of course I do, but we'll see what happens. And it'll certainly be a tough game, but I think a good one for the neutral particularly. So um, yeah, that's Arsenal down at St Mary's next Sunday in the Premier League. Thanks for listening to Total Saints Pod episode 16. My name is Ben Stanfield and I've been joined as ever by Adam Leach. Adam, thanks for joining us and fingers crossed the Arsenal game will be as entertaining as you're expecting. Yeah, I hope so. I hope it'll be a good one and thanks again for having me. Pleasure as always. No worries. Well, we look forward to having you on next week's podcast. Thanks as ever, as I said earlier, for, for all the feedback. It is uh, very much um, appreciated. Any other ideas, comments, feedback, iTunes reviews, anything you want to do or provide is always very much appreciated. We'll be back after the Arsenal game next week to look at that and preview the uh, run-up to Christmas. Thanks for listening and keep marching in. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However, when it comes to discussing feelings with our friends, we might not always feel as confident. That's why we're here to equip you with the right tools so you can reach out to those who can help. If your mates are struggling, let them know that the Samaritans are free to call on 116123. That's 116123. They are there to listen without judgment or pressure, 24-7, 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.